Welcome back to the No Spin Dash Zone. We're talking about Bakhtai 2. Welcome to the No Solar Boy Zone. God, solar, that actually, that does, oh wait, no, Solar Django Zone, because we got the NSDZ. NSBZ, but the B is a B emoji. <laughs> oh no. Uh, so I'm Isaiah. I'm, I'm Charlie. Oh, I'm also Charlie. <laughs> and yeah, and this is Boktai 2, whose full title is Boktai 2 Solar Boy Django. Solar Boy the Django. Which I guess they don't like saying because you can name your character anything, so they don't say it out loud like they do with the sun is in your hands. Yeah, which is fine. Anyway, this is a sequel to Boktai. It's much better than Boktai, and we're going to talk about it. Yeah. There are a lot of similarities to Boktai 1. Like, at its core, on a surface level, it looks pretty similar, because you still have that isometric movement, you still have puzzles to solve, and you still have, like, combat with pretty much the same enemies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did they did they add new enemies? Yeah, there's some there's some different ones, like the tentacles. Well, they added the were those uh were the gray zombies in Boktai one? The gray zombies. Yeah, they're like they just take more hits than the. Oh the yes, regular. they were. They were in later areas. There's also a red zombie that'll spawn sometimes that's in this game, and I think that's in both. I like that there are plenty of enemies that are just like you know that enemy new colors. <laughs> well, that's palette swap. That's like Game Boy Advance 101. That's RPG 101. Yeah, it's very too. effective because there are some enemies that I'm like, oh, those colors, I'm more scared of you than your friends. Like, the, have you guys found a red Bach before? Uh, I don't think so. No. I think they have a random chance of spawning in any room where there's regular Bach. Oh, God. And they just take one billion hits. Like, they have so much more health than a regular enemy, and I really want to kill one because I'm sure they've got a rare drop. Oh, I, I would hope so. They've got to. So while the first game wanted to be focused on stealth, this game pretty much drops that. There are still mechanics like it, like you can still tap the wall and stuff like that to lure enemies into a certain position. Yeah, and back hits still are more effective. Yeah, but this time it's a lot more combat focused, and you actually lose your gun pretty shortly, and you have to collect uh, a couple of different weapons instead. And so there's a lot more sort of close close quarters combat this time. Yeah. Which is actually, I think, more effective because the way the energy system works, you are still rewarded for stealthing because, like, one hit takes a lot of energy, at least, like, early in the game. So if you're fighting a lot and then you run out of energy, then you're incentivized either to stop using energy and deal less damage or just avoid combat entirely. And then that's when the stealth mechanics sort of surface themselves. Right. Yeah, and they feel like they feel more in the game compared to Boktai 1, because Boktai 1, I feel like they're just making me do it for no reason. But yeah. this time, I felt like, ooh, I might actually die here. Why don't I... Yeah. In in Boktai 1, it was, ah, you got spotted four times, so you get a C instead of a B. And in this, it's like, yeah, no, uh, if you don't stealth, you might die. Or certainly you'll take a hit to health that you don't want to take. Right. Yeah. And that's the other maybe biggest change about the combat system is that dying in this game actually matters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You essentially have a, a currency that you have to pay whenever you die. And you acquire that currency sort of passively. But if you die too often, I think every time you die within a certain span of time, the price increases. 
I think it's just 200 sometimes and 100 other times because there's other stuff in this game involving the the stuff that the currency he's talking about is just a converted version of the sunlight that you store in the banks from the previous game. Yeah. Because the banks are in this game too. Alternatively, you can just, if you save a lot, you can usually get yourself places because if you don't save, then it's, then you're going to have to want to use the, the dark loans as they're called. Yeah. Right. But yeah, you just, I, I think it's basically random whether or not you have to spend 200 or 100 and I never saw it go past that. Okay. And I died three or four times in a row to some bosses, so I don't think that it increases like that, but you could be right. I'm not sure. I didn't do a ton of experimenting with it. It's still, like, it's a price that you don't really want to pay, because yeah. 200 is is a lot. It's not too much. Like, you can pay it a couple times in a row and be fine, but it does make buying certain things that will be helpful long-term, or even just buying items, it's just much harder to do and it limits your options. Yeah, and that should actually be noted that this game has a shopping system, and we'll talk more about that later. But now, collecting sunlight, you're more encouraged to get it naturally, as opposed to going to the banks. Yeah. Because 200 sun points, or whatever, like, solar units, is only, like, 2 meters, really? Right? Yeah, I think I think you have 150 energy from the start. Oh, okay, so maybe it converts directly. Yeah. But it's not a whole lot and you'll only find yourself generating like, I, I found myself generating about 200 to 300 an hour, depending on where my sunlight was at. Yeah. And that's not a whole ton. It's, it's really not. And it's not like you don't have the that lens in the first game where you could just charge your bank while moving around. Your bank does charge passively. It did last time too. Yeah, and I think it might actually do it faster, which is probably just because now you can spend that on more than just getting your energy now. Right. You know, but it's, it's a very interesting system instead of like you know in other games you would grind against enemies for like money drops and in this you just play the game and the money occurs <laughs> yeah well there's also there's some other stuff but like i said we'll get into that later when we talk about the shops but do you want to talk about how there are different weapon types now yeah so as isaiah said you lose the solar gun in not an opening cutscene but just like after some tutorials but yeah you're forced to use your fist after that but you never need to use your fist it's just <laughs> And then someone's like, hey, you can't fight like that. Here's a sword. So you have a sword, and that's like one of, I guess the, the fist is a weapon type, I guess. That's one of four. You can later get a hammer, which allows you to destroy wooden blocks that you would normally like push in like the older game. But now yeah. you have a second option, which really helps with puzzles. Then you oh, can yeah. also get a spear weapon, which allows you to hit something a block away. So if it's like fenced in, you could hit it. And you also get like a glove. I don't. What is it? What is the thing that that you use the solar power? It's called the soul device, but it's like soul space D E space vice. I like. <laughs> I kind of thought it was like soul device or soul deviche or something like that. Because it's a vice. Yeah. Well, it's also because it's like. It's trying to be kind of Spanish because it's, it's the town of San Miguel. It's yeah, yeah, very Western because Kojima. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be like an on-the-border type situation is what they want this game to feel like. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they want it to be that politically, but they want it to be that in setting, I think. Yeah. Right. It's interesting because in the first game, you had one weapon, but you could augment parts of it. And in this game, you can just get a bunch of different weapons of different right. types. Right. And, yeah. R God, you threw me off for there for a second. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so sorry. You can use that Soul Devite device, whatever you want to call it, to charge your weapons with sun energy and use different types of elements that you can get throughout the game. Yeah, kind of like the last game. Right. And I don't know if this is something we're gonna, we will want to cover later, but since Isaiah mentioned how you would switch parts 
everything has kind of been streamlined now. Where if you hold the select button, you can use L and R to change your uh, yeah your your magic, I guess your yeah fire, ice, whatever. And then you can also change your weapon. And since you have those four weapon types, you can equip different ones because you'll get different ones as you go, and you can smith them later, which we'll talk about. Yeah. There's also uh, armor you can equip, but it looks like body armor when you first get it, so it's just like a, a vest you wear. Yeah. But I haven't... You probably find more of them later, but it's just kind of a not that big of a deal. It's just like, oh, you're going to fight these tougher enemies, so we're going to give you this kind of vest now. Yeah, yeah. you'd usually find them in chests, and like each dungeon you'll get one, and it'll make you a little bit stronger for the boss. Yeah. I, I really like the fast equipment change thing, because in Boktai 1, there was a lot of like, all right, against this enemy, I'm going to pause, and I'm going to change my equipment so that I fire this type of bullet. And in this, it's like, no, I don't have to pause. I mean, I pause, but I can still see everything, and it's much faster. Yeah, it freezes time when you're in the quick select menu, but it's it's amazing that this game just fixed most of my issues with Boktai, like, right yeah. away. I actually, I'm realizing... I'm pretty sure that's the equipment selection thing from Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, it's kind of a similar thing. Kojima's at it again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically that system, but one of the things that you change equipment is what element augments your, your weapon. Instead of which gun you have in your left hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really impressed with that improvement right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, speaking of puzzles... <laughs> oh yeah, puzzles. So Amazing sorry. transition. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just, uh, puzzles. <laughs> so the puzzles in this game are, like, so much better. And I've only done the first dungeon, and they'll probably talk about more of the other ones afterwards, but the first dungeon, like, everything is kind of put together in more cohesively. It's not like in Boktai 1, where, like, that first dungeon is just kind of a bunch of puzzles kind of stringed together. Yeah, it's like a hole, basically. Like, if I could uh, kind of go a bit more in-depth with how the cathedral puzzle works, it's it talks to you about, like, a, a hint thing will tell you, oh, there's these four orbs, and eat, next to each, like, place you can put an orb, it'll give you a hint on where to find it. And so there's little puzzles in those rooms, and they're really, really interesting. Yeah, it's it's like a whole dungeon-wide puzzle yeah. that has sub-puzzles within it. And I don't know if I want to, like, talk about, like, the ones, like, I guess there's one where you go to the library, it tells you to spell word, and you have to find the buttons behind the certain Dewey Decimal, not Dewey Decimal, but like they're ti- they're organized by title, so they're A and B yeah. will be together, so you'll have like R and Q together or something like that, and you would just press that button behind there. And it's interesting because you, you can't like speed run it, you have to actually go to the hint sign before you'll see the button. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I personally really liked the puzzle where it said you had to find two white sentinels. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty strange because... The solution to this puzzle is that there are two statues outside of the cathedral, and you expect most of the puzzles to take place inside the cathedral, because the other three do, but yeah. eventually you'll kind of just be confused and start looking around, and you'll go to the outside and see those two statues, and there's something that you didn't even notice in the first place because you don't enter the cathedral through the front right away. Yeah. So you see them, and you're like, oh my god, that's it, and it clicks, and it just felt so good, and it felt kind of like an old point-and-click adventure game, but in a way yeah. that was fun as opposed to those games which can be aggravating sometimes. I also feel that the box-pushing puzzles are hugely improved, because there's a lot less, like, pushing something onto a switch. Like, there was a lot less sort of repetitive components. Yeah, you, you know? also have so many more tools to interact with them. Yeah, uh, which definitely helps with the variety. 
Like, in Boktai 1, there was a lot of, like, alright, push this box onto the crate, and then, like, you know, there will be a half bit in Boktai 1 where you put, like, you're pulling the, the casket, and you put that onto a, a block to open up a door so you can go in and then push a box so that you can come back and bring the, like... It's just busy work. Yeah, it was busy work, exactly. Where I felt like there was a lot of time spent pushing boxes in this game, which was not necessarily improved, but there was a lot more time considering where to push boxes. Or whether to destroy them. Yeah, or whether to destroy them as well. Yeah, or eventually you get to these boxes where they interact differently based on what element you hit them with. Yeah. You have the same elements from the previous game, which is the fire, the ice, the earth, and... In this game, they call it Cloud. I think in the last game, it was called something else. I don't know if we even yeah. got to it in the last game. I don't think we did. <laughs> I don't think I did, yeah. But there's a block that's just kind of floating, and depending on what you hit it with, it changes colors and has different effects. So sometimes you can make it land on the ground by turning it into ice, or you can hit it with a cloud and it'll fly further. It's a really interesting thing. If you hit it with a spear with a cloud, it'll fly twice as far, and that's how you can get it over gaps that it would otherwise fall into. Yeah, and there is... I don't know... I think you guys might have gotten to this puzzle, but there's one puzzle where in this game you can light torches and you light torches to light up rooms and also sometimes it's got the Zelda situation where if you see four torches, chances are you light them all and the door opens. Yeah. In this case, there's a block that you can push and when you turn it red with like your firepower, it'll actually light torches next to it. So you yeah. have to figure that out by seeing a torch that you can't access that's unlit and then you see a block over there and you realize that if you push it, like you turn it on fire and then push it with the cloud, you can push the block over to the torch. And I feel like that puzzle is really fun and it's more of a logic puzzle than it is a block puzzle. Yeah. And I think that was a really interesting way to show you that you'll have to do some weird stuff in this game. The block puzzles also much better utilize 3D space in this game because there's a lot of like, all right, well, this box needs to be pushed in a way that allows me to walk up the stairs and use it as a platform and then like push this box down into a hole so that I can use, like, I can go over a gap or like I'll be pushing, you'll you'll push a block and this isn't really a puzzle. It's just you push a block into a gap and now you have access to a shortcut so you don't have to go through 20 rooms to get to this room. You only have to go through four. Yeah. That was the other thing that was fun about the cathedral, was that every time you completed something, it gave you a shortcut to it, and this yeah. big kind of overworld. It's essentially set up like there's a garden, and then around that garden is a few different things you have to do to open the cathedral. And you come up through the basement of the cathedral, which is really just fun conceptually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you open the, at the very end, you open the front door of the cathedral, and then the whole area is just open for you to explore if you ever want to go back later. Yeah. And I also really like the parts, there are parts of the cathedral that are the main hall, and then to the side you have sort of like the this worship area type thing, and then you have an attic that you climb up into, and the library that you can visit, and it feels more just like a fun place to be, as opposed to the last game, where it was just kind of these dark cave holes. Yeah. And every dungeon felt like a, just a dark mm -hmm. cave hole. Every, every room in the cathedral felt like it had a distinct purpose. Not just for the environment of the cathedral, but also for gameplay. Even that weird hallway that just had pews on the side. <laughs> you you weren't going to forget about that hallway, were you? I guess not, because of how stupid it was, but... So you're going to look on the map and you're going to say, Oh, it's the hallway with the pews in it. And then you're going to walk through it and know where you are, you know? Yeah, I, I can remember every room in the cathedral, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really strong. That's even better than, I think, a lot of early Zelda games. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, with the early, early Zelda games, they were working with, like, six textures to, to place around the maps. I mean, by the third, 
Zelda game, they had plenty of options. And Zelda Link <laughs> to the Past, just all of the dungeons still kind of look the same. They're just palette swaps, mostly. Yeah. But this game obviously came out after, like... Did this game come out after Wind Waker? Oh. It had to. This was 2004. Wind Waker was kind of an early GameCube title, wasn't it? Um, I don't think it was super early, but it was, it was, I think it was, like, second year. Wind Waker wasn't a launch title, I know that. Yeah, but, like, it was still pretty early in its lifespan. Because there was a demo for it. Yeah, Wind Waker came out in 2002. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yes, yeah, so this is post-Wind Waker. And by Wind Waker, I think that they did a better job of making the dungeons feel unique, but I still think there's oh, yeah. stuff in Wind Waker where, like, Dragon Roost is a cool island, but once you get into the actual dungeon part, it feels pretty samey. Yeah. Whereas in this game, the cathedral, which I'm giving Wind Waker the benefit of a doubt of not calling Forsaken Fortress the first dungeon. <laughs> yeah. But the cathedral is such a good place to just, they send you to it, and it feels like this could be the entire game. Yeah, I, I agree. Especially, like, it's huge, but you're never lost. You know, every part is unlocked very procedurally. Like, you go underground, and it's extremely linear. And then you go into the th the cathedral, and it opens up, and there's more paths. But most of those paths are locked, so you're never, you're never unsure of where to go. Yeah, and I like how you get stuff, like you get the spear, for example, and then you can just take that and use it to do a different side dungeon. So if you want, you can get stuff in a cathedral and leave before it's done, yeah. and have more fun in like the just odds and ends of the game, and then come back whenever you're ready to complete more puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of the first Zelda, where you can go into a dungeon and get an item, and then you don't even have to fight the boss. <laughs> yeah, my my only complaint is really that I feel like if you take too long of a break from the dungeon and then come back, you probably will be lost. I think that is more of a user error type thing because that happens with RPGs and stuff too. And this actually happened to me while I was playing this game because as soon as we'd got done recording the first Boktai episode, I started playing Boktai 2 because I was really yeah. curious. And I played the tutorial level, and then I kind of put it down, and I didn't play it again for a whole week, and I forgot some mechanics that they make you use more in this game than the previous one. Oh, yeah. And I had to actually ask Isaiah and Charlie about how they solve certain puzzles, and I think that was actually maybe one of the funnest parts of us playing this game. Because, Charlie, you got really far ahead of Isaiah and I in the cathedral, and you were giving us, like, little tips and hints while we were playing. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It felt like kind of the almost Dark Souls community experience thing. Yeah. <laughs> It, it definitely added to the enjoyment. There was there was a puzzle that I couldn't solve, and I was like, all right, what does the internet have to say about this? And I got there, and I was like, oh, it's this. Okay, that's... Man, I would have felt real smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I think that was what was fun about, like, you and Charlie helping me along the way, and me helping you guys along with certain things, was yeah. that we would send each other a picture of a room and just be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was actually a puzzle I, I got through today that I was like, I have no idea how to get through this. And I, like left the room and did different puzzles and then it came back and I was like I still don't know and then I left the room and came back again and I was like oh what if I just did this and then the puzzle was solved and I was like I'm a genius yeah and I feel like if I had just sent you a screenshot like one of you would have sent the perfect hint and I would have been like this is a good video game yeah, I think it was a very fun group experience, but I also think that none of the puzzles were so obtuse that you wouldn't have been able yeah. to eventually find it out, especially if you were a kid. Like, if this is your car ride game, yeah, you're gonna eventually figure some stuff out. I like that we <laughs> always, every Game Boy Advance game we play, we're like, this is the game that you play in a car. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think it's because every Game Boy Advance game I had, I played in the car. Well, that was the point, you know. Yeah. I, I wonder, is it 
is getting the sun a lot more difficult if you're like in a car? Eh, there's windows. I think it's less about like the actual UV stuff. I don't know though, maybe like it is a solar sensor, so maybe the UV light matters and maybe that doesn't come maybe. through the window as best. I don't know. I haven't tested it. Yeah. I'm not a scientist. Do windows block UV rays? Only only if you get uh, an extension for it. Um, on on Windows. It's God a, damn. It's a computer, it's a My computer PC joke. is SPF. Fuck you, Isaiah. So, <laughs> I feel like the puzzles and combat mesh better than in the first game. We talked yeah. a bit about it with Boktai 1, which was that the stealth as a puzzle and the puzzles as a puzzle were like exactly similar enough and exactly divorced enough that it felt like the game should have just had one. Yes, I. That was exactly how I felt. It felt like it could either have been one of those NES-style just puzzle rooms games where you finish a room and then go to the next puzzle, or it could have been a really cool Metal Gear Solid thing where the only puzzle is to kill things and you get more equipment to kill things better. Yeah. But instead it was both. But this this does the two things much more effectively. And I think it's because they made combat less of a puzzle and more of a, like, more of a real challenge and encouraged you to do it instead of discouraging you from actually engaging in it. Yeah, because there was no reward for killing enemies in the previous game other than drops, which were pointless because you got so many of them and you burned through them so quickly. Yeah, and this, this game fixed both of those two issues. Yeah. Because this game has RPG mechanics now. Every enemy you kill, you get experience, and when you level up, you can increase three stats, or was it four stats? It's your health meter, your energy meter, your strength, and your defense slash movement speed. Yeah, which is really funny to me that you can increase your movement speed because that's such a like, I didn't go for it, but like, that's the very obvious, like, Boktai 1, you move way too slowly. In this, they just let you increase your movement speed, which is, is really fun. Uh, I went for a full strength build. I was like, let's increase my attack as much as possible. And it made the game really interesting because it actually incentivized stealth even more. Yeah, because the percent, like, damage increase matters more and more as you deal more damage. Yeah, and as they deal more damage, one hit from them does a lot more than it used to. Right, and I didn't experience that as much because I was increasing the movement speed, which also increases your defense, I think. Yeah. So I was taking less damage and I was moving faster, so I was able to just kind of run away from things. So yeah. I didn't have to do as much backstabbing stuff, I could just kind of get through rooms quickly. Charlie, how did you level up your character? Well, most times I play an RPG, I try to have everything completely balanced as all things yeah. should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never that kind of person who likes to just be adventurous and just yeah. go all out one way because I feel like if I do that, something's just going to screw me because I was too careless in that aspect. Yeah. So, I mean, I've definitely experienced being screwed and also, like, I used to even, I used to level things perfectly evenly and then, like, one day I was like, no. And then I only leveled one stat for the rest of my life. And it's, it's made games more interesting but not necessarily better. Yeah, I think for some games, it's a lot more fun to do a one-stat build. Yeah. But it's stuff where you can you can just win even if you were level one, I think is where it's best to do that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think Boktai definitely fulfills that requirement. I don't think you would ever need to boost any of your stats to beat the yeah. game, even somewhat effectively. Like, I don't think having the attack boost to kill enemies quicker is nice, and having the defense boost to not die as quickly is nice, and then obviously filling up your meters is good. But I think yeah. that just through the weapon stuff alone, you could easily handle most bosses.
Yeah, and, and that's the other thing is, you have skills as well. You have a, a skill point system where whenever you use a weapon, you passively increase your proficiency with that weapon, which makes that weapon deal more damage. Yeah. And so even if you never increase your strength, your attack will go up as long as you're using the weapon that is your preferred weapon. Yeah, and then you also just find more weapons that are better, like you'll find a better sword, and then eventually you'll be able to make better weapons. And I think that because of that, it feels like no matter what, all of your stats are kind of going up gently Yeah. as the game progresses. Because you also get, like we said, we get about one more new armor piece a dungeon, and that'll boost your defense even if you aren't increasing your agility. And then you also just get different skills that do different things. Like if you test out your weapons, you'll find out that some enemies take more damage from certain elements than others, and you can use that to your advantage. Yeah. There's lots even of different you... skill-based ways to get an advantage in this game, Besides just the stat system. Oh, yeah. Even if you never touch the status screen, you will get more powerful, uh, whether you want to or not. <laughs> well, and I also just think that the experience in this game, the experience point system, is so yeah. perfectly balanced that I'm getting levels just enough that I feel like I'm progressing, but it's yeah. not so much that it gets annoying, and I also don't feel like it's... It, it's never really encouraged to grind. I think you'll get levels yeah. as you go so that you don't feel like you have to go and just fight a shit ton of enemies. I, I've never, ever grinded in this game, uh, which is excellent. I d didn't either, and I feel like my stats are... They feel high to me, you know? I feel like I'm yeah. making progress in a fun way. And I haven't beaten the game, so, like, maybe later down the road I would need to grind, because it turns out only increasing your attack and not increasing your health makes an enemy that deals 150, like, HP, like, instantly kill you or whatever. <laughs> But so far, there has not been any issue like that. Well, you get the armor, though, and I don't think that this game seems like it's designed in a way that they would do something so annoying at the end. Yeah. I think it's more so they just give the bosses a little bit more health and stuff like that, and they make the fights more interesting. Because mm. this game does a much better job of slowly introducing you to enemy types. Yeah. Like, for example, I don't know if they could do this in the previous game, but there are golems in this one again, and when you hug your back to a wall, the golems will roll towards you, but if you get two rolling from opposite directions, they bump into each other, and then you can deal extra damage to them. Yeah, yeah, because they stun each other as well. Yeah, and they don't introduce those until later, so it's kind of fun to learn how to fight each enemy differently as you go on. Yeah. And, like, the mummies in this game also are programmed a little bit differently, because you could light them on fire before, and they would run around and not have the same AI. They would just be, like, running in random directions. But in this game, it seems like they're kind of pathed to run a certain way so that you yeah. don't have to worry about them hitting you. Which is valuable. Is the puzzle... There's a puzzle at some point where... It's it's in the second dungeon, if you're okay. talking about what yeah. I think you are. <laughs> I think we're The bit the where place. you have to light a torch, but you can't get there, so instead you set a mummy on fire and it runs there. It's so good. <laughs> it's really good. That sounds hilarious. It's a great <laughs> it's puzzle. It's really funny, yeah. It's one of those puzzles where, like, you, you read the thing that tells you, like, this is the puzzle. It's like, but you can't get there. And I'm like, there's a mummy in here that I gotta set on fire, isn't there? And then you do, and you're like, yeah, this was great. It's it's such a kind of, like, obvious solution when you look at it that I yeah. wanted to do it the wrong way. Like, I tried really hard <laughs> to find ways to sneak past the... There's, like, basically a fire, like, spew thing. Like, I guess a flamethrower is a word, but it's in the wall. And you can't walk past it because whenever you get hit, it knocks you back. But it, it stops for a little bit, so it feels like there's just enough time to run into yourself and break the puzzle. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was fun to just light the mummy on fire and watch him run towards it. <laughs> Are we ready to hop over to describing the biggest change in this game, I think? The hub area? The biggest change? Yeah, there are a lot of changes that are all all for the better. Like, I don't think there's any change that's worse. Everything has changed for the better. 
So the hub world in this game is the little town called San Miguel. Miguel? Miguel? Yeah, San Miguel. Miguel. San Miguel. I don't like this bit. It's a town. It's not a bit. I just, there's different ways to pronounce Spanish words because there are so many different countries that speak the language. Anyway, in this town, you'll meet some fun and friendly NPCs like one Miss Zazzy. Oh my god. <laughs> the Sunflower Girl. She's she kind of sets you out on your first quest. She tells you to go to the cathedral, which we've already talked about. But along with her, there are a few other different NPCs, like a little girl that helps you put things away in a warehouse so you can store your items. And you have a much smaller storage space in this game than you did in the last time. So it's nice to be able to put some things away so that you don't have to carry them around while you're adventuring. And then there's also a bank area that isn't... It's, it's kind of the same as the bank in the previous game. It's not in dungeons anymore. It's just in this town. And that's how you yeah. convert your solar units into money that you can spend. You can also go to a store to buy different coffins that sort of keep your vampires that you're dragging locked away better. They don't, like, freak out as much, and then they also have different effects later on as you unlock more of them. And then you can meet different NPCs in dungeons, story dungeons and some of the side dungeons, that will give you access to different sort of mechanics. So, like, for example, in the first dungeon in the cathedral, when you get to the end, you unlock the smith which will let you sort of take weapon drops that you get from enemies and combine them to make better weapons. So for example, if an enemy drops a short sword and then another enemy drops a long sword, you can combine them to make like Excalibur or whatever. I don't think, you, you don't get to Excalibur right away. <laughs> but it's like you yeah. mix a short sword and a bronze sword to get an iron sword and then you mix that to get a long sword and you mix that to get a broad sword and stuff like that. And there's a fun yeah. little mini game that he has where you have to sort of time a button press and I found out that the mini game changes based on how much sunlight is present so if you have a lot the game plays faster yeah. and if you have none it doesn't work at all and then there's obviously <laughs> anywhere in between yeah I like the the faster you go the more attempts you have at getting points necessary to upgrade more effectively yeah. but also the faster you go the higher your risk of doing poorly as well. Right, you can make a weapon that is broken, or not broken, but it just has worse stats. Or you can get a weapon that temporarily has better stats than one that would drop from an enemy or be found in a chest or something. Yeah, uh, and I, I really like the way you can sort of choose your own difficulty based on how much sunlight there is. Yeah, I also like how it's not too complicated. I don't like games where, me personally, I don't think this is like a bad design thing, but me personally, I don't like games where weapons have a ton of different modifiers and you can get a long sword, but there's also two billion other different combinations for that longsword of yeah. different modifiers and stuff like that. I like how this game is, it can do a little bit more damage, but that's not even a permanent upgrade. Yeah. Yeah, I like that it's it's very simple. Like, if they were going to do anything more complex, like, I, I think if you were going to do something more complex than that, you might add enchantments, but we already have what element you're attaching to your attacks. Yeah. So enchantments are kind of moot at that point. I don't want the anxiety of, like, Minecraft enchantments and Boktai. God, that would be terrible. <laughs> Minecraft's enchantment system isn't great anyway, though. Yeah. I think that, like, Diablo is my touchstone for this, which I do like Diablo a lot, and I do like their weapon system, but it's still, for me, I like to have everything in a game, or at least I aspire to do that, and that's fun for me. Yeah. So I think that this game gives me a good way to just check stuff off my list and have a box full of all the different swords I've got, and it looks fun. There's ni nice little sprite art for each different sword. Oh, yeah. I think if it were more complicated than that, it wouldn't really make sense within Boktai. 
because yeah. Boktai's systems are really simple but very cohesive. Right, and it's not suited for the simple RPG, action RPG stuff that you're doing in this game. Yeah. Whereas for a dungeon crawler like Diablo, it obviously makes more sense because that's the whole point of the game is to try and get the best weapon possible. Yeah. There's also a couple different shops that you can get. Like, you'll find, I think your name is Lita from the previous game. Is her name Lita? Probably, yeah. Is it Linda? Is it Lisa? Is it Liza? It's, um, Larry. Oops. That's a stooge. <laughs> oh, no! What? I stooged up. No, a stoo as in, like, one of the three stooges. Yeah. Uh... Larry? Yeah. I'm gonna go to the, the Tayo Wiki and see if I can find the out. The Tayo Wiki? Is that the name of it? Yeah, it's the Tayo Wiki. Oh, that's great. Also, here's something else which is not really related to the game's quality, but the three of us have not gotten sick of saying Tayo. Tayo? Tayo! Tayo! There's also Potenko. Which, I don't think he ever says that in the in the second game. I think that's just a first thing. He's a lot quieter in the second game. Also, yeah. you, you lose him in a certain dungeon in the second game. Yeah. Uh, Lita is her name. Lita is the, what is her title? Uh, Earthly Maiden. She's the one who keeps an eye on the tree, the solar tree. Yeah. And in this game, the solar tree gets bopped, so she's just kind of hanging out in the town, trying to like <laughs> grow a new one. But she'll yeah. also sell you nuts. She sells nuts and fruits. But more importantly than her selling you nuts, she can buy your nuts. Yeah. So now you have a new source of getting solar energy, and you can sort of, like, grind for nuts. <laughs> Guys, this is getting painful. <laughs> Look, it's Boktai's fault for having nuts be the main, like, item. And then you okay? can bring her your earthly nuts, and she'll give you her sun power for them. And you'll be able to use that to buy weapons and stuff like that, and to buy other things from this other guy who is named Kid. I imagine he's named after, like, Billy the Kid. It's like a Western thing. Yeah, it's a Western thing. And he's this fun guy with a giant afro, and he sells you potions and stuff like that. So you can buy antidotes from him, you can buy health potions and stuff. And he, you can also sell things to him, but I think you unlock Lita first, so that's kind of a place where you'll sell most of your stuff. Yeah. And then one of the later ones that you unlock is a man who just sells weapons. And before that, you had to get weapons as random drops from enemies, but now you can buy them. And the only thing that's stopping you from just getting the best swords in the game is how much money you have. So if you wanted to grind it out, you could go and just get tons of items from enemies and chests that respawn, and then sell them and go and make a new sword every time. Yeah. And I think that's really fun to me, because it's like, oh, if there's a puzzle that's keeping you stuck you can take a break from it and work towards getting a, a new sword or something like that. Yeah. I like, I mean, this game has ways that you can grind without ever necessitating it, but it's not, it's not really like, I'm not strong enough, so I have to get better. It's, alright, well, I want better equipment, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna farm money, and then I'm going to forge my way to the top. Yeah, and I think that this whole town situation also adds something important, which is that having this town makes it feel more like a, a cohesive world. Yeah. And that world also, as a result of a few other changes, like to the music and to sort of the general theming of the game, this game feels more like a western than the last one did. Yeah, I think the music is huge for that. Yeah, also I think that the cathedral, like having a church, adds to it. Yeah. And having sort of like the, just this like main strip of shops that you walk past feels very western. Yeah. And then for when sure. you run into Sabata, it's got this this town ain't big enough for the two of us vibe. <laughs> <laughs> and Sabata has uh, different art this time. Yeah, he doesn't just Instead look like Instead of just you, being a palette swap, yeah. He's got his own art, which is excellent, and he feels a lot more like his own character. Yeah. Which, to be fair, is just because we didn't get very far in Boktai 1, probably. 
Yeah, uh, I think I think he becomes more complex as that game goes on. Yeah, he he definitely starts already complex in Boktai 2. Yes, in this game he feels like a really strong character. Yeah. Also, a lot of these characters that you'll meet end up hanging out in the end sometimes, like Zazzy and Sabata. And yeah. uh, there's a little girl, I forget her name. Is it? It's like a flower, isn't it? I want to say Lily, but that just sounds like a generic name. It's just a Pokemon character. I kind of feel like a flower for a name kind of is generic. Right, but that might not be her name, so I'm going to go and find <laughs> out. I mean, she looks like a Lily. She does look like a Lily. If, if that's she not her name, like it's, a Lily. it's our name for her. Yeah, she's Lily now. What is her name? No idea. Terrible. Maybe I could boot up the game and look for it, but I don't. <laughs> Just know. terrible. Something I would I would like to say is that the fact that the town is sort of the center hub and all of the environments are sort of circling the town, you sort of go off in different directions from the town to get to those areas. Yeah. Makes it feel a lot more like this is a town that you're saving and bringing back to life, which is the narrative. Then in Boktai 1, it was like, I'm in a place where I have to travel through dangerous parts to other dangerous parts, and it's really disconnected sort of for that reason. Like, I'm never in the same place for too long. Yeah, and you don't meet anybody except for Lita, and she just kind of hangs yeah. out at the tree. And it's like, I guess you're saving her, but the world isn't populated. It doesn't feel like you're doing anything. The world is really populated in this game, because not just do you have characters and, like, shops that you unlock throughout the, the main game with the main dungeons, you have, I mean, just like the last game, you have optional dungeons, but this in this time, I think every optional dungeon gives you another NPC to add to the town. It's actually the first two do that, and I'm sure there are some later ones that might add a couple more people, but I okay. completed a third optional dungeon, and I got a picture of Otenko. <laughs> okay, never mind then. That's very funny, though. So, yeah, the, you do unlock different NPCs, so it kind of feels like you're saving people around the world. And also, yeah. just you, you do feel so much more connected, and also the world is easier to explore. Because in the previous game, you kind of just had to walk through every dungeon you completed to do one that you maybe missed the first time or wanted to go back yeah. to check something out. Not to mention the, the spaces in between dungeons were, like, not small. Yeah, no, it, it was like a pain in the ass to get anywhere. Yeah. Whereas in this game, you can kind of just think to yourself, oh, I want to check out that place that I saw before, and you walk to it, and it's like three screens, and then you're in a dungeon. Yeah, which is excellent. Oh, and also the overworld outside of the town is populated with, like, small enemies that are easy to kill and easy to avoid, so if you want to just kind of do some combat, you can, and if you want to just walk past them, you can. Yeah. There's no quick travel, but I feel like everything is as close as it needs to be. Yeah, I, I never really felt like I needed quick travel, really at any point. Whereas in Boktai 1, I was like, can I just warp to the dungeon that's six years away from me? Yeah, or level select because that entire overworld is so samey and boring. Yeah. That's the other thing about this one is that it feels kind of like you're on a raised city. Like, everything you do is you walk upstairs to get to the city and then you walk upstairs to get to the cathedral. So it feels like you're on this kind of hillside, which is a really nice environment. And there's just old ruins and, like, little paths and stuff that don't lead anywhere. But because you can see the map, you don't feel bad about it. It's not confusing where you're going. Yeah. It just adds to this vibe of, like, oh, you can walk up onto a little plateau that just overlooks the map, and that's kind of neat. Do you want to talk about the map? Yeah, the one of the biggest improvements to this game is that yeah. the yeah. map is isometric now. And much, much easier to read as a result. Yeah, you can just see where you're trying to go, and the orientation makes sense. And also, the maps in the dungeons are 
kind of smaller, which is weird because the dungeons feel bigger, but there's just less pointless rooms. Yeah, I think that's the that's the really important part is that every room has a purpose, and therefore you're. I mean, even though they feel huge, like you're never lost. Yeah. And there are fewer rooms because there are fewer unnecessary rooms, so it's more compact. Right, and the rooms also don't feel like they have the same square shape. Like, there are long rooms, and there are rooms that have yeah. sort of like an arc to them, and there's different stuff like that. And also, upstairs and downstairs feel different, whereas in the last game, because it was all caves, it was just like, oh, I'm on a different level of the cave. But here, yeah. you know, the first floor of the cathedral is just the cathedral itself, but the basement is actually a basement where you're in, like, this darker area with less windows and stuff. And then the second floor is, like, the attic of the church. Yeah. So it feels much more defined where you're at, and that makes it easier to read the map, too. There's a bit in the second dungeon where you're up on the second floor and you go into a room and it's just this sort of like small platform overlooking the first floor's room where you push a block onto the first floor and then you go back down to the first floor and you can push that block into a shortcut place. Yeah. Which is very cool. And this is this is like a very specific thing, but like when you look at different floors on the map, the actual coordinates you're looking at stay consistent. Oh yeah, that was the other huge thing. Like it makes it so that the different floors feel more connected. Yeah, and that that is standard now in games, especially 3D games. It's a no-brainer. I mean, it should have been standard then. Like the third Zelda, like Link to the Past, yeah. was <laughs> yeah. like that. You could even see two floors of the map at the same time, so it was really clear where you were at. It's such an important change that makes maps ten times more readable, especially as verticality is really important. Yeah, that was like one of the most unacceptable parts of the first block type was opening the map and then going up and down and having that not connect and just sending you to random spots. That was so weird. It's very silly. Charlie, what do you think is like the biggest, most important change to this game that improved it for you? Now, the joke answer is for me to say Zazzy because I need to <laughs> establish that. But I don't even think that's like the wrong answer. I think the weapon switching, like just holding select and be able to switch weapons and elements, I don't have yeah. to pause all the time. Yeah, that's a very much so a time saver. Also the puzzles in the dungeons. Yeah. I think for me, and this may just sound convenient because it's the only thing we haven't talked about yet, but I think it really is the item degradation system because this game, instead of carrying 99 life nuts and then <laughs> life just nuts. and then just opening your inventory and be like, oh, I'm dying, time to eat four of them, you have space for how many items? Like, not a lot. It's four by four, I think it's 16. Yeah, yeah, you have space for 16 items, which is a very small amount, and... Each of those items has this this sort of circle next to their name that is sort of this pie chart for how much time they have before they go bad and expire. And so your your earthly nut and your solar nut will turn into a rotten nut, which will heal you, but I think it'll also poison you. So it only heals you a very small amount, and it gives you like a stomach ache or something like that and basically what it does yeah. is that for a significant amount of time the screen will just kind of pixelate so you have you have a very uh, yeah. uh, low resolution to work with it's like it's like a minute or two that's incredible so you really don't want to eat rotten nuts unless it's your last resort which it really shouldn't be because you will go through items very quickly you'll have 16 items and then you'll eat one and you'll find another one and then you'll the next time you got to eat something you'll look through it what's most expired and you'll eat that and it it really gets you to use your items which most rpgs are not very good at encouraging yeah every everybody knows somebody or is somebody who is like items i'll never use those yeah you save them for the final boss 
yeah, you save them for the final boss, and then you never use them. And in this game, as somebody who does that, it would the game wouldn't let me do that. I was like, I have too many items, and they're gonna go bad soon, so I gotta use them now, or I'm gonna lose them anyway. Yeah, it also got me personally to experiment with stuff like the strength nuts. Yeah. Which are just bananas, which are not nuts, so that's weird. <laughs> Dude, that's bananas. But, like, I was using items that in the previous game I didn't use because I wanted to save them, but now they're going to go bad, and you only have so much space in the warehouse, so, like, I put one of everything in the warehouse just for archiving's sake, and then everything else I just kind of use when it's about to go bad, and I get to yeah. experience different stuff, like the strength nut, or the see-all nut is back in this game. Dude, the see-all nut. I love the tiptoe nut, which is literally a lime. Yeah, or, like, the speed nut. <laughs> which is a lemon, yeah. Yeah, dude. It's just, how can we make fruits nuts? Dude, I eat speed nuts all the time in that game. Oh, yeah, because you move faster. I'm just dashing around. This is this is the other thing, is there are items that don't expire, like potions and stuff like that. Yeah, and beef jerky. Yeah, and beef jerky. I actually just got a beef jerky, like, the last time I played, and I haven't used it yet. And all of those things don't heal that much. So it's better to have items that expire, which you have to go through more quickly. Yeah. Oh, also, the other thing about the expiration system is that the higher the sun is, the faster things expire. Mm. So it's another That's system important. to encourage you to not be in the sunlight all the time and actually work with that, that sunlight going up and down stuff. Yeah. And I think that's healthy for the game. But yeah. it's not so overbearing that, like, oh, your stuff goes bad in 30 seconds if you're in broad sunlight. It's just something to think about. Yeah. Well, it's always, I mean, you see the sort of pie chart. It's cut into quarters. So you can see, is it 25% of the way? Is it 50%? Is it 75%? And then it's all bad. Yeah. You know? Those are large enough chunks that you look at that and you go, I mean, I have an amount of time. Like, right. I'm not worried. Oh, there's also this thing where when you sell them the higher the degradation, or rather, I guess, like, the lower, but basically the more time you have before it expires, the more it sells for. Yeah. So you're encouraged to sort of, like, again, eat the stuff that is as expired as possible and maybe sell the stuff that isn't. Yeah. And that's fun to me. I also just think that the expiration stuff is a good flavor piece. Like, it feels more fun and real to be like, oh, I better eat these fruits, but, like, have a couple potions on hand in case everything goes bad. Yeah. And, like, the beef jerky not expiring but still being a meat item is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, D doesn't, I mean, meat generally heals you for more than nuts, but yeah. it expires much quicker. There's also a point in this game, spoilers, I guess, if you're interested in Solar Boy Django 2 Unchained. Which, by the way, Octide. you should play it. Yeah, you should play this game. This game is amazing. But there's a, the second dungeon, which we haven't spent as much time talking about because, first of all, the puzzles just aren't as complex, but we also didn't all get to that. But yeah. at the end of it, you become a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! The whole, like, premise of Solar Boy Django is flipped on its head, and I love it. Right, which is cool, because that's the name of the game this time. Yeah. But once you become a vampire, you can't eat the fruit, or the nuts, rather. You can't eat the nuts. Oh, you can't eat the nuts? You can't eat them, but they don't heal you anymore. I, I just became a vampire, so yeah. this is news to me. So you can only drink potions or eat meat, which is really cool, again, for flavor. <laughs> flavor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the other thing is, uh, when you're a vampire, the sun deals damage to you. Right, but you still need to use solar energy to activate your powers, which is fun. So you gotta trade life for energy, basically. Yeah, and now it's even more risky to keep the sunlight high because you take damage in broad daylight. So it's again forcing you... If your sun is max, you die real quick. Oh, yeah. But it's like another mechanic to force you to think about how much sunlight you're playing in and stuff like that, which I think is really cool. And also just yeah. your, your animations change, you look different. And yeah. you get a bunch wings. of different cool transformation powers, which I always love when 
stuff makes use of vampires transforming. I love that you can just go into a casket and sleep, and that then you can very, very slowly recover energy. Yes. Like, it's such a terrible use of your time. <laughs> I can't believe this game tried so hard to make me go outside, now it's making me stay inside. Well, it makes you go back and forth. I think what you're actually yeah. supposed to do is, like, cover the bar with your hand. Like, but playing yeah. like that is a little weird because you can't really do that and play at the same time. So, you, it, like, wants you to go under a tree and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that sort of engaging with that system is kind of fun. I, I just, this game is so good. Even the later dungeons that we aren't going to talk about as much, they all have a different vibe. Like, the desert, you go from sort of exploring this mountainous region to going out to this big flat desert, and then you go into an underground temple type thing. And then the third dungeon is called the Dark City, and it is like a city. You go inside and out a lot, and you go into these buildings that you have to go up in floors and then fall back down to go to the next building. And there's lots of alleyways and stuff. It, it, it's very cool how sort of designed and fun these worlds feel. They don't just feel like dungeons. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good game. Which is especially refreshing because the first game was, like, kind of not. It was a lot of interesting ideas. Yeah, like, it fascinated me, and I wanted to keep playing, but I wasn't really enjoying myself. I do kind of, I must say, the one thing I missed from the previous game is that I really enjoyed the building your gun thing. Like, it took too long oh, to yeah. do back and forth, but the idea of putting together, oh, you pick your lens, and you pick your battery, and you pick your frame, and then you pick your yeah. grenade, and that all kind of informs the way you play the game, I think it's interesting. Yeah. But the simplicity of these weapons is, yeah. is an improvement, for sure. But I miss, like, the spinning around ability versus the using a sword ability versus using, like, a close-range powerful shot versus using, like, a long-range shot or getting, like, your first automatic weapon is fun. That stuff was good, yeah. but this game is much, much, much better overall. Yep. So, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down? I give it a thumbs up. Thumbs up, for sure. Uh, that's gonna be a thumbs up. Do you guys think that this game is made much better by the presence of the solar mechanics? I think, like, it takes the concept of using the solar mechanics that Boktai 1 sort of introduced, yeah. and it, it makes it feel more cohesive. Like, I feel like the solar mechanics don't really feel like a gimmick. Yeah, in the first game, they felt kind of like a pain in the ass sometimes, like when it overheated or when you just needed to use it for a puzzle. It felt kind of weird and clunky. Yeah. Whereas in this game, the vampires are much more present, so it's fun to fight them with, like, solar power. And then yeah. the town needs the energy, and you use that as a resource. And then also, you become a vampire, so that's dangerous to use the sun. Yeah, like, it changes your relationship with the sun, which is very cool. Yeah. And the sun feels more, like, present mechanically and narratively, I think, in this game. I'm really interested to see how Boktai 3 plays, because Solar Knights, which is the fourth Boktai game was lunar, the game that I Nights played. What? I said Solar, didn't I? Yep. <laughs> lunar Nights is the game that I played that is the fourth Boktai game that got me to be like, what if we played the Boktai games? And, like, I saw a lot of similarities between Boktai 1 and Lunar Nights, but Boktai 2 and Lunar Nights are, like, the same RPG systems, like, the same map. <laughs> like, yeah. they fixed the map and it's, it's that way. And so I'm interested to sort of see the transition between Boktai 2 and then see what 3 does differently and then see what Lunar Knights does differently. Yeah, Charlie and I were talking about this in the... There's a gap that you might not notice if you're listening to the episode proper, but Charlie and I during the gap were talking about the worries we had because there's it doesn't feel like there's anything to improve now. This game feels almost kind of perfect <laughs> for what it wants to be. Yeah, and I, I will say that Lunar Knights does do different things. That's nice to hear. 
so I'm sure Boktai 3 does different things as well. Yeah, Boktai 3 also, a uh, note, is that it did not come out in the US because Boktai 2 apparently didn't sell well, which makes sense because Boktai 1 was not great. Yeah. But I'm interested to see what Boktai 3 has to offer. We'll be using a patch to do it in English. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, especially because of how much language is in the games. Yeah, there's a lot of this reading. This would not be possible in, in Japanese. Can you imagine doing the cathedral in Japanese? Oh, God. Imagine, like, the book puzzle in Japanese would actually just not be possible. Yep, it would just literally be randomly clicking buttons. And that's to figure out that there are buttons in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you should play this game. You should check out Zazie. She's pretty good. <laughs> Zazzy. Is Zazzy everyone's favorite character from this game? I think I think for me it's Sabata. That's also a good choice. Didn't you, Isaiah, while he was playing, this game gives you a couple different like choices in dialogue, and I don't think they make any meaningful difference on the game. They don't change the narrative or anything, but you, yeah. basically a character will be like, what do you think of this? And you can say, like, good or bad, but in sassier ways. Yeah, and also the bad option is the default, so if you're just mashing through, you'll say mean things. Yeah, and there is different, slightly different dialogue for each thing that you say, but then the game kind of just goes back on track. But apparently yeah. Isaiah, when he first met Zazzy, accidentally told her that her magic sucked and she was sad. <laughs> and I felt so bad because she was so genuinely sad. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of fun. I think it's a fun little, like way to keep you invested in the cutscenes because I think they understand that some players just aren't going to be into the cutscenes for this game. Yeah. And making them kind of fun and lighthearted with that sort of stuff at the end I think is, is a good thing. Yeah. I also don't think any of these cutscenes are too long. Yeah, I agree completely. I've definitely played some games where the cutscenes just take forever. Like, I think Tactics Advance, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance had a problem with that oh, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, the, the tutorial was kind of hands-on, but, I mean, compared to Tactics Advance... Yeah. like nothing. Right. I think Ringo might also be one of my new favorite characters. I think he's really cool in this game. They're all Western film character names. Well, Ringo is just Japanese for Apple. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking of Rango. Yeah, Rango is a lizard from that one movie. <laughs> no, wait, I'm thinking of the Beatles member. That's Ringo Starr, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Maybe he is named after Which, Ringo. Ringo Starr sounds like a Western film character, right? Maybe, but I mean, his, so the thing is that there's a JoJo character in Steel Ball Run that's named Ringo. So yeah, he's probably named for Ringo. Well, yeah, stuff. but I yeah. was thinking the character your dad is named Ringo, and your dad shows up in this game even though he's dead. Spoilers, but he is—he's called Red Ringo. Like that's his title, and that just makes me think of like a red apple. Yeah, there's also a character from Puyo Pop called Ringo that holds an apple and she is definitely not named after the beetle right like that can't that, be the... that, would, that would be a big shock if true <laughs> huge if true but yeah I like Ringo a lot I also like the vampires you fight they all have like a personality to them in this game yeah and voice lines oh yeah they do they say like one thing <laughs> they all say one thing wasn't like the first one just says wait yeah wait she, she goes wait and then she's like look I'm sorry, but, like, I'm gonna eat you. And then she turns into Mothra. It's so fucking cool. The boss fights in the last game were the best part, for sure. Yeah. And in this game, that has not changed. The boss fights are amazing in this game. Yeah, I agree. The first one is Mothra. The second one is, like... Is your dad. Yeah, is your dad. And you fight him with Sabata. Yeah, and uh, I, I like that you are really not trying to do damage to him. You're really just trying to s distract him while Sabata charges up his black hole gun. Galaxy boy. It's a friggin' galaxy boy. Alright, let's plug our stuff, unless we have anything new to say about Boktai 2. Solar Boy Django is great. Solar Boy Django. Vampire Boy Django. <laughs> Taiyo.
You can find us on Twitter at NoSpinDashZone. And you can email us using the Gmail account, NoSpinDashZone, at gmail.com. You can also follow these guys. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Isaiah Games. That's I-S-I-A-H Games. You can follow me at Draws Charlie, where I draw something every day. I'm actually getting a bit better at doing some uh, digital drawings so they look colorful and don't look like crap. So you look at those. I actually drew Zazzy, <laughs> so check that out Yeah, maybe, at Draws Charlie. Maybe we'll retweet that the day this comes out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Guys, Black Tie 2 is really good. Have a nice night. Black Tie 2 is really good. Have a nice night. <laughs> Or a, or a day, I guess. Uh, everyone or always... whatever time of day, whatever. As, as like, they matter. might watch in the morning when they're doing their commute, and I'm like, yeah, but we record. The sun is in your hand, we okay? We record at night. You just gotta remember that the sun is in your hand. Otenko. We'd like to thank the LAG Radio Network for hosting our show on platforms like SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and lots more. If you enjoyed our show, you can find the rest of what the LAG Radio Network has to offer by searching for the LAG Radio Network on any of these platforms.